Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. My name is Jack McLean. I am the host. And in today's episode, I interview Jackie Lauder the sports psychologist at the Collingwood Football Men's and Women's Program and works at Melbourne Storm. Prior to the Pies, Jackie was at the National Institute of Circus Arts and travelling on the national dirt bike and road bike circuits with Motorcycling Australia. She's worked at North Melbourne Football Club and is practising out of the Olympic Park. Highlights from this episode, the importance of developing self-awareness, how to use analogies to improve athlete performance, why mental preparation is as important as physical, Jackie's career journey from an athlete to a practitioner. Before we start this episode, for those wanting to improve your 2K time trial and gain a competitive edge this preseason, join our Prepare Like a Pro online program. You can get a free 14-day trial by heading over to our website, preparelikeapro.com, or click the link in our show notes. Let's get into today's episode. Thanks for joining us tonight. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our chat. Um, we'll, we'll start <laughs> right back at your beginning. Um, at what age did you discover you had a, a passion for the mental game, sports psychology? Well, it was actually really early. Um, I'd always loved psych and um, my sister hates me telling this story, but uh, so I did heaps of sport growing up and yeah. <clears throat> we used to do little athletics. So you'd go to athletics every Saturday and um, my dad and I would sit on the hill and we'd watch my sister do the hurdles and every week she'd fall at the fourth hurdle. Yep. And I remember saying to my dad, and I would have been like nine or ten, said to my dad, that's what I want to do when I grow up is like that's in her head. So I want to help athletes. At like, nine years actually. old. Yeah, really wow. freaky. Yeah. So, um, and I probably didn't really recognise that it was able to be a, a career at that stage. And then when I was in year nine, um, I walked past the school library and they had all these brochures out the front and I saw a course at Ballarat University, which yep. is now Federation, and it had a double degree like in human movement and then I could do psychology and they had a stream in sports psychology. So pretty much then from, from year nine, I knew that that's where I was going to go and that's what I wanted to do. Wow, that's amazing. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, it's unusual, yeah, well, I know. Yeah, when you were nine years old. so. Looking back at it now with the professional skills you have, um, what would you have told your sister for the young athletes that are listening in? <laughs> yeah, well, I definitely would have uh, asked her what her preparation was like because I'm tipping she would have been expecting to fall at that fourth hurdle, which means that there's some anxiety there. So, yeah, yeah I, I can help her through that now. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and like, when, you made, when you worked into that year nine course, was that something that was popular in other high schools or was, was that something that you, you like, um, no. other, how many students were doing it in your class? Well, so it wasn't a course. It was an, a brochure um, that was saying you could go and study after year 12 yep. at Ballarat University. Um, so, yeah, from that moment on, I pretty much just kept an eye on it and that course was still always there. And so when I was 18, like at that stage, I knew I'd get the grades um, to get in. So, um, yeah, I moved from Melbourne up to Ballarat and I was playing state league netball at the time. So I was going back and forth yep. um, between Melbourne and Ballarat four or five times a week um, to maintain it. But yeah, that's actually still where I, where I ended up and I loved it. Ah, fantastic. That's a, that's a, yeah, it normally takes people a few years to find their, their truth mm. and their career and, and passion, but that's amazing that you found it at such a young age and, <laughs> and yeah. you've been doing it for, for a long successful career as well. So that's, that's super inspiring for, for yeah. those that, um, do want to become sports psychologists, take us through the steps and um, what you need to do to be a qualified sports psychologist. Yeah, so um, if you want to do psychology, basically the first few years undergrads, um, you can do it through a sports science degree, a science degree, just go straight into arts psychology. So the undergrad yep. is pretty similar no matter where you go. Um, I found that doing the human movement sports science degree and then with the psych, just gave me a really good ability to be able to um, talk to the dietitians and the doctors and the physios and have a really good understanding. Yeah. Um, so that was my logic for wanting to do it that way. Yeah. Um, 
once you've done your three years, you then can do a graduate diploma, so fourth year, mm-hmm. or you can do an honours as your fourth year. And then once you've finished your fourth year, you have to go and do a fifth and sixth year. So that'll be um, a master's or you can pick a PhD. And after that, you're a general psychologist. Mm-hmm. And then once you're a general psychologist after six years, you then go and do you know, anywhere from <clears throat> 18 months to two years working as um, a sports psych where you've got a supervisor and you've got to log all of your hours and all that. So it's a pretty long, long yeah. journey, but it's, um, yeah, I, well worth it. And certainly I think the job opportunities now are, are so much more than when I first came out. And you were playing high-level netball, like you said, um, state level. Did you know that you wanted to work in high performance from the get-go yes. when you started doing your degree? Yep. Yeah, yeah. From, yep. from the very start, I've always had a fascination with high performance um, and what makes people want to be the best. And, and I guess for me, I'm still, I'm that same personality. I want to be the best at, at what I do. I yeah. ended up with probably too many injuries to follow the, um, the athlete pathway. So crossed over to the other side and it's actually worked out pretty well. Yeah, it sure has. And what about mentors and influences early on in your career? Yeah, look, I think ultimately it probably initially stems from my parents have both of them have a really amazing work ethic. Um, So knowing that it was going to be a really long journey, it definitely came from them at the start. And then, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had some great lecturers at at uni that were able, they could probably see how driven I was and, and how determined I was to do things. And then I had a really great coach when I first came out that I started working with the state softball teams. Yep. Um, and I had a really great coach there, Pete Phillips, who's passed, passed away now. But um, he was the first one, I think, that could really just see the value of psychology and, and brought me on board um, to be able to work with the under-16 state team. And then I went to the under-19 team, the open team. So he was pretty huge for me. Mm. Um, and then... I guess, you know, having that association, I, I went through the Victorian Institute of Sport for a, a little bit. So there's a few coaches in there. Roger Flynn was an amazing coach to work with who was in squash. Yep. Um, and, you know, he had some pretty high-level athletes. And I just, the way he pushed me to think and push my boundaries and, and those sort of things. So, yeah, and then now, obviously, along the way, it's um, some pretty incredible people that you get to work with, some great coaches. and. I think, you know, a couple of amazing footy managers at, at Melbourne Storm. I've got Frank Panisi who's just allowed me to do my job but giving me the, the support and is super fair in the way he does things. So, um, you know, it's not just, I guess, psychologists. It's, it's athletes, it's coaches, it's, it's your admin people that, you know, help you believe in what you do but also encourage you and give you that freedom to go, you go be your best and we're going to help you do that for us and do that for yourself. And, and for the um, practitioners listening in that are interested in sports psychology, maybe they are doing their sports science degree and they're not sure where they want to go with it or, or they do know what they want to do and they want to work in high-performance sport, how, how competitive is it to get your foot in the door and what would be some tips that you would give, for, I guess, um, for those people that want to work in high-performance? Yeah, look, I think it's getting really competitive now and, and the courses, you know, there's not a heap of courses around, but if you, I would say, as soon as you know this is what you want to do, start reading. Um, there's so many books, there's so many resources, there's so many podcasts um, and things like that. So you'll hear, you know, some of the best that are, are around doing these sort of things um, to learn from. Yeah. I think the biggest, for me, my biggest asset has always been networking. Mm-hmm. Um, every opportunity I got, I was prepared to take it. I would drive two hours to be able to get an opportunity with, you know, a netball team or you know, I drive an hour and a half this way to, to be able to go and work with a swimming club. So I think um, embracing any opportunities that you actually get. And the other side of it would be, apart from reading and, and listening to podcasts and things, is um, making sure that if there's conferences on and things like that where you can see there's a sports psych stream and there's some sports psychs that are well-known or, or in certain organisations that you want to be in, Mm. pay the money and go to them and, you know, introduce yourself. We're a pretty small network, but we're a really friendly network and we know that this is such a growing area. Yeah. So the opportunities to come in um, and certainly at grass, not grassroots sport, maybe like your state level sports. Like for me, I started with softball. 
Yeah. You know, it's, yep. it's not a mainstream sport. It wasn't a sport that I grew up in, but I had a coach um, and assistant coaches with him as well that really understood the mental side. And so that was a huge opportunity for me. It wasn't glamorous, but gee, it was, it was fun. And, and those coaches now are still like some of my closest friends mm. because they gave me a start, but I could use my foundation skills there and, and build. Yeah. Hey guys, CJ here. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work with Jack for the last two years preparing for last year's NAB AFL Draft Combine and then this year's NAB AFL Draft Combine. Um, he's been absolutely amazing helping me zone in on specific areas of what I wanted to work on, which is my endurance of the 2K time trial and um, the 20 metre sprint. Trying to crack that under three seconds has been a massive goal for me this year and I feel like that the work that I put in with Jack, he's just helped me skyrocket um, for my personal goals, which has been absolutely amazing for me. But it's not only it's not only what he's done on field for me, it's what he's done off field for me. He's been able to help me be persistent with the lockdowns that we've had, stay motivated, prepare for massive events, especially the combine this year, which was done over Strava, unfortunately, that we couldn't get out to the Holden Centre and compete um, against the other the other prospects. But also the massive one is just recovering. He's been able to give me a massive, massive influences on how to recover properly. Obviously fueling for your next sessions massively for me as well. And the advice that he's given me so far has just been second to none. It's been really appreciative what he's done. Um, I've really enjoyed working with Jack. I feel like we've become a bit of a, we've made a bit of a friendship, which is always, it makes it easier when you're training, when you've got basically a mate that's telling you what to do. It makes it a whole lot easier than a, than a random coach that you've never really met before. So. I feel like Jack just helped me, helped me prepare for the combine as, as, as best as I could. And yeah, I can't appreciate the stuff that he's done for me. And yeah, he's made me really tick some boxes in, in my, own, my own goods and hopefully recruiters and are happy with my improvement. And yeah, it's a massive shout out and thanks to Jack. And you mentioned um, your uni lecturers like saw passion in you and and yeah. uh, and it, was that the connection with the softball coach or because obviously you played netball so how, how did you make that that network do you know what I, mean? I can't even re- remember how i it was so long ago now i can't even remember yeah. how we how we made that i think um i think i got an opportunity at a high school i think it was blackburn high at the time and they were running an elite sports program and i was in my fourth year yeah. and i contacted um the guy who ran that course and I said I'm happy to come and talk about the mental side of things to your year 10 students and they did an article in the paper and I think the coach saw that yeah and then rang yeah got in touch with me from that and said hey I'm interested in having someone do this so it was just in the you know the local leader newspaper that talked about this this course that I had you know kind of thrown myself into that's great Um, yeah so I'm pretty sure it sort of came from there yeah Create your own luck, eh? Create, create opportunities. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I love that. Um, yeah, for, for those tuned in, that's that's a, that's a great story and something to note down to, you know, um, where you're seen, like the university, make sure you, you do your best, but then also mm. do things outside of the uni as well to create opportunities and get that work experience. And when, and when, you, when you're working at a club, um, even if it is community level, I imagine you're the only sports psychologist. Um, yeah. So, and you've got supervisors and, and networks there, but ha- how did you go about building the rapport with athletes and building those soft skills? Yeah, I think that's, you know, a big component is, is for me. I think I've always said, you know, you've got to make sure that, that you listen and, and just try and keep your head and your bum in, in the same place and not try and think too far ahead and go, right, I'm just going to embrace this opportunity. And, and every, every athlete has a story. And, and for me, I find them that interesting that it doesn't matter if it was an under 16 state player or mm. it's a you know an olympian or an afl player i think it's actually just about listening and giving them your time and working with them not the textbook gives you a really good baseline of understanding of you know areas but i, I think the athlete is the one that gives you the best guidance on what you need to do with them and what they want and then it's a really collaborative relationship um, I think the ones, the practitioners that I've seen that probably don't create those connections is they take the attitude that, well, you can learn from me, whereas my attitude mm-hmm. is the athlete that I'm with is the smartest person in the room because the topic is them. Yeah. So if yeah. I go in with, with that approach, then I always assume I know less than the person I'm talking to. 
Yeah, that's so true. Like I, I was at a, a workshop this morning and the coach was, who's been in the strength conditioning game for a long time said you've always got to give a little bit to gain a lot. And that's sort mm-hmm. of that res- resonates with what you're saying. Um, yeah. That's so true, doesn't it? Like that give first mentality um, for, for, for buy-in or anything, I guess, in terms of working with building relationships. Um, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah really yeah. sound advice. Yeah, ab- you absolutely have to. And I think it's, it's also, you know, my job's such a privilege. Like people share things that they don't share even with their families. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're really vulnerable with you. Like if it's an elite athlete, you know, who just is frustrated with performance or has got issues going on at home or, or whatever it is. So you really have to treat that with respect and, and with kit gloves. Yeah. And, and what about key areas for, for the athletes that are tuned in? That, um, like you said, it's a growing area. Um, and it's certainly something that I've seen working elite sport, like the physical side has sort of been, uh, it hasn't changed too much over the last sort of decade, but the, the yeah. game, um, COVID sort of interrupted a little bit, I guess, for budget, but there's a lot of momentum and, and athletes just seem to be so open now to working mm. on the mental game. So the friction seems to be less and now practitioners like yourself, I guess, are getting more access to athletes and more time with them. And, and like you said, co- having coaches, um, that value it must be so helpful. Um, so what would be for, for those that want to get better in this space, for, for the young developing athletes around sort of 16 um, years of age, what would be some things that they can do uh, or, or what would be some, I guess, fundamental pillars that they should start practising in terms of yeah, the mental space? Yeah, look, I think the biggest one for me is um, making sure that whatever you're trying, you're doing at training. Um, yeah. You spend more time in training than you do in performance. So, so many athletes turn up and, and training is, is pretty much just, you know, tick the box and, and get it done and, and they physically push themselves, but they don't necessarily switch on. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where your greatest awareness is going to come from is, um, you know, how am I feeling at training? Where's my headspace? So, the, the transfer from training to competition is, is a really big one. I think um, having an awareness of how you think. Um, how you talk to yourself is is huge because, you know, if I said to you, whatever you do, don't think about an elephant, mm. first thing you do is think about an elephant, right? Yeah. So, you know, you, uh, you think it, you see it, you feel it pretty much. So if you're telling yourself, I'm not very good at this, then you see yourself not doing so well and then that doesn't make you feel so good. Yeah, so, the mind. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's having an awareness of what your dialogue is and then um, figuring out how we can actually help you change that and then um i think you know the ability to learn how to critically think and evaluate your own performances is really important because when you're on the footy field on the tennis court in the swimming pool on the netball court you know um on the golf course you you don't have your coach there to do the thinking for you you've got to do that yourself so learning how to critically think and give your coach feedback before they give it to you Mm. um so that you learn how to talk and assess and then they add to it because the most important opinion is that of the athlete. They're the ones that are competing. Yeah, and I know that's yeah, such, such great advice because if you're thinking about that already, by the time you get that feedback, you might already have a question ready for, mm-hmm. and, and um, you know what your, how your body feels, how, what, what was going on, all the information in that current situation that you're in. So you'll be able to really lean on your coach or your psychologist on how to then you know, develop areas to get better in that space or... Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned self-awareness. What, what are some ways that you can um, develop your self-awareness? I think the first and f- foremost is being able to um, figure out what some of your triggers might be for your reactions to things. So if you're lucky enough that you've got some footage of you competing, mm. um, having a look at how you've reacted in, in certain situations um, you know, what am I like before I start my performance so that we can have a look at your routines. Um, so getting in pre-performance routines is, is important. Um, having a look at how you manage through a performance, so your ability to adapt and, and those sort of things. So that's probably where I'd start first up. And then it's, um, you know, knowing when you go in, what triggers me when I do really well what triggers me when I probably lose emotional control and I start getting distracted by all of those uncontrollable factors, other people, referees, you know, crowds, um, results, scoreboards, um, you know, got a bit of a niggle, all those uncontrollable things. Um, 
having an awareness of what, what are the things that demotivate me? Yeah. And I think when we talk about motivation, people are like, oh, how do I get more motivated? My first question is always, well, what demotivates you? Mm-hmm. You know, is it a hard competition? Is it the weather? Is it, you know, um, having to, to be able to perform when you've got a, a little bit of an injury? So knowing what demotivates you helps you then figure out how to get yourself going. And, and, what, and knowing what demotivates you, do you then, like you mentioned, how you want to first practice in training so then would you put yourself in more of those situations with the tools yep. that you've been given from your psychologist but then you would practice that in training and you practice the the mental game in that physical yeah absolutely so if we've got like a um if we've got a tennis player and, and they find that they um can lose focus and get very demotivated if they lose the their first service game right um yep. then what you work with the coaches on is doing some practice sets at training where you know you start them and they're two to love down. Mm. So we assume they've lost their first service game and then, um, you know, or you give them a bit, of, a bit of a handicap is that you're two love down and it's 30 all and you've got to serve. Um, so you put them in those pressure situations and then watch how they go about it, listen to their dialogue, and then you step in at those moments and, and teach them how to, to change that. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And then in those moments where you're starting to feel, like you said, that the athletes are competing by themselves, they've got their teammates, but they don't have their coaches. Yeah. So you and you need to practice giving yourself feedback and almost becoming your own coach, um, which is such an awesome philosophy. Very um, much. Yeah. So so with that, what when you're feeling a bit overwhelmed and you're frustrated with yourself because you've made a mistake or you've let down a teammate, whatever it might be, um, what, what what should you do? Because if you hear about mindfulness, breathing exercises. Is it speaking to yeah. a mate, what would be, or is it depending on the individual? Yeah, look, the first thing I would always say to an athlete is ask yourself, what can I control? Because mm. human beings by nature, we're control freaks. We don't yeah. like not being in control because then we don't feel safe and we don't feel like we're going to get where we want to go. So ask, having a really good dialogue of, well, what can I control right now? You know what? I can just work on my footwork. Um, I'm just going to focus on, you know, um, getting good percentage tennis for the next two points and just get myself feeling pretty good. Um, mm. I'm just going to go to the back of the court and take a few breaths, you know. Um, so those sort of things, let's say if, if it's a, a tennis match, if it's a football match, when, when you come to the bench, um, it might be talking to somebody, it might be doing some breathing, it might be going for a war. Um, it might just be getting um, a footy in your hand and just doing a few ground balls and just getting a bit of touch. Mm. Um, back in there if you know if it's a swimmer it's just okay let's just focus on on my pool under the water let's focus on my kick rate so you, you put them back in touch with skills that they've got control of that they feel good with yeah once they do that it's amazing how quickly they forget the other stuff that was going on yeah yeah that's awesome so and that's um a great thing for, for athletes to note down and start practicing especially in the off season so put yourself in those situations like you said what can trigger you so it might be mm. goal kicking practice as a good run for footballer like missing missing a goal and um but when you're when you're creating that environment at an elite level um yep. how do you go about like crowd noise and all those sort of distractions that you're talking about so what what are what are some things that are done at collingwood where you're trying to replicate that like a finals preparing for a finals game or something like that yeah, so I think um, some of those ones are actually pretty easy. You could just put some earpods in and you put crowd noises going through it um, yep. so that, you know, you know if you, let's say you're going to have an Anzac Day game and there's a, a huge crowd and you may not be able to communicate verbally as clearly. Um, mm. So you're learning, obviously, different hand signals or you put, if you know that there's some that might get overwhelmed, let's say it's your first game and it happens to be, you know, a huge one, yep. um, that put them, you know, get some of the senior boys to put them under some of that physical pressure and, and make sure their skills hold up. It's putting, like I said, the, the noise cancelling headphones on and teaching them just how to zone in. It's in the middle of a training session when they're like at high heart rate and all that sort of stuff, pulling them off straight away and say, right, we've got 30 seconds, let's bring your heart rate down. Yep. Um, so you're teaching them how to do those, those resets. And, yeah, you put the variables in where you can, the crowd noises, you know, um, I've definitely said, you know, if I want to test the resilience of an athlete sometimes, um, getting one of their teammates, setting it up so that, you know, they get into them and, and they, you know, have a bit of a crack and put them under pressure and just like, mate, you've got to lift your game. That's not our training standards here. We need to lift those. And, you know, the kid gets frustrated, but we sort of talk them through it at the end and explain what we're doing. 
Yeah. And sometimes you do that with your senior players. You know, if they are not showing good emotional control, yep. then you'll work with the coaches to put them under a bit of emotional pressure and, and just let's see how they cope and we can then pull them off. And we do that in a really safe environment like a training session yeah, so yeah, that yeah. you can talk them through it. And then that's what, that's what training is. It's training your physical state, but it's really training your mental state as well. And when you go into a competition, we can see what you have or have not trained physically and mentally. Mm. So, yeah, we need to take those variables as much as possible. And um, by doing that, you're not only improving the developing player, but the senior player is learning how to give feedback, constructive feedback. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, and that's one of the biggest ones, I think, you know, is every every human being has has an ego in, in terms of how you feel about yourself and how you judge yourself. And elite athletes, their ego is tested every single time they go to compete. You know, there's a million and one media people commenting on their performance. You and I don't have that every day at work. Mm. Um, you know, you have a bad day at work, it's not going to be on the front page of the Herald Sun or the Age or, you know, Sydney Morning Herald or whatever. So yep. um, I think helping athletes develop that really healthy ego where it's, hey, I'm really good at this and this is my strength. Mm. But on the other side, being able to take that feedback without an understanding, that's about my performance. That's not about me as a human being. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, well, we'll stick with the with the athlete phase and then get back to your career journey. But the on the earlier like for, for a footballer's week and you're in season, um, yep. what are some things that you do with the players earlier in the week, and then and then what and that's recovering and I guess um, absorbing the game, whether it was a loss or a win or whatever it was, and then yep. um, to help reset for the preparation for the next week, and then also what does it look like the day before a game? Is that something that you work with the individuals to create like a uh, minus one day prep. Yeah, so I, I think it's um, it's very much individual. Like you, you'll have different uh, routines, different assessments, different ways of doing it with different athletes because they're all playing different positions and they've got different personalities. So um, you know, you might obviously as a um, as a team, you you sit down and they'll do their review, and it might be asking questions to the entire group or. You know, my big thing is, is in so many teams I've seen reviews done where it's we did this and we didn't do this and we didn't do this. And I'm, my question is, okay, great. That's a verbal replay of what happened. I saw that, watched that. Um, mm-hmm. Why not? Why not? Like you've got to ask that why question. Why didn't we follow our structure here? Why did we panic in this situation? Um, you know, why, why didn't you get the reaction time that you want or why didn't you remember our plays or, or whatever? And often they, they may not be able to answer that why question, but you've got to keep trying to find it and keep asking it. And then individually, you'll certainly sit down with players in the, in the first few days and, and go through things. And then the day, really two days out, so their day off, day before, mm. um, hopefully you've got some pretty good routines. There's not a lot of talking. Um, and then at the ground, it's, you know, some people like to just check in with you and, and just kind of know you're around and others um, might just go and do a little meditation. Um, some will access you a lot more through a match, um, whether that be halftime or um, for me this, this year I was lucky enough to be s- sitting on the bench so I can oh, wow, see, okay. yeah. see the ment- mental state, the reactions, and be able to have some conversations in the moment that you wouldn't yeah. be able to have if, if you weren't in that position and that makes a huge difference as well. Yeah, wow, that's, um, that's fascinating. So is that something that's, that you've done before or is this something that you've um, the club tried for the first time? Yeah, look, um, I've done it before in, in, different, in different teams, but um, I don't think it's been done before, um, in, certainly not at, not at Collingwood, and, and I don't know how many other psychs do it that way. And this is the thing, I guess everyone works really differently, yeah. um, and it de- depends on what your background and, and stuff is. For me, being at the performances and being there in that moment to, to get it before it gets out of control or to see it unfold, allows me to go right we need to work on this um or not we can quickly nail this right now and and you can sometimes i guess save a, a performance instead of that whole second half becoming terrible they've quickly accessed you and um or even sometimes it's not even they need to talk to you but they see you and they remember what you've gone through yeah and so you might be a trigger for for things and, and that's all you need to do so I just kind of let the players guide me on, on what they need and they'll come to you if they need you. And if they don't, I just let them do their thing. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, yeah, I've never heard of that before, but it does make sense. Mm. Um, you know, have, it's such a, a good asset to have is for, for that reset and having someone that you can lean on and, 
What about analogies? Is there is there a thing where players create like a word that you work with them on that means something to them to, for that same reason, a trigger? Yeah, absolutely. And they're, they're the things you'll find sort of through the week and, um, you know, you'll often have little analogies for them or you might have, you know, um, one or two words that are, are their reset words or, or um, it reminds them of what one of their strengths are. So yep. yeah, you, you're always going to do that with them because that's their personal thing. And you'll often see... Um, you know, cameras have a really good way of picking up if, if athletes have written tape, something yeah. on their wrist or on the tape or, or whatever. And, yep. you know, I always kind of have a bit of a chuckle when they're trying to figure out what it means. And, yeah. and sometimes they're so far off, which is, you know, my, my entertainment, I guess. And I'm yeah. going, that doesn't mean that. It's nowhere near that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so it's good watching them sometimes try and, try and figure it out. But, uh, yeah, it's um, just different strategies for different athletes. Yeah. And, um, for those that haven't experienced that before, what would be a common analogy or, or even a strength that a player would, would sort of focus on? Uh, I think you talked about it before where when, they've, um, when they're in that moment of frustration, they focus on the next task of their quick feet or, you know, these sort yeah. of things that are important to their game. Yeah, so some of them might, might keep it pretty basic and just put like a, a H for hands and an F for feet and it's hands yep. and feet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for others, it might be a particular a mindset um, that they want to have, which might just be lift or compete or, or something else. So, um, and it doesn't really matter what sport it is. Your only one, I guess, where you're probably really limited is um, is with swimming because they're obviously under the water, so you can't really put too many things. But um, we would have triggers then for when they turn, um, what they're thinking, like a trigger word when they're pushing off the wall or something like that. So there's spots within their performance where you can still put those reminders for them. Yeah, yeah, great. All right, so, such good advice for, for those listening in to the, either live chat or, or podcast. Um, what about uh, before talking about your career and, and the experiences you're getting early days to develop yourself? Um, you're now in the elite space and have been for a number of years. Uh, how did you come to work for, for Collingwood and Melbourne Storm? Um, and take us through what a sort of typical week will look like for, for yourself. Oh, hectic <laughs> would be the week. Yeah. Um, you know, when, you, when you're going across a few different places. Um, so I've been at Olympic Park at the Sports Medicine Centre um, for about 20 years, and that's where Amy Park um, is, the stadium. Yep. So Melbourne Storm's in that stadium. Um, so <clears throat> very early in my career, I, um, I was getting one or two of the Melbourne Storm players referred to me because I just happened to be in the same precinct. And then that just got a bit more frequent and then um, just got to a point where a few years ago, I think I started with them um, at the end of 2016, mm-hmm. um, uh, Frank and Craig Bellamy and that spoke to me about wanting to probably do more in, in this space and because they were pretty familiar with the fact that I knew quite a few of the boys already. Um, so it was kind of like a 15-year interview, I guess. Yeah. So they didn't, they didn't have a sports psychologist before yourself? No, they were just yeah. sort of referring them individually. So, um, yeah, it was a, it's an amazing opportunity. And obviously externally you, you, you hear all these wonderful things about Melbourne Storm and how good an organisation they are. So, um you don't pass up an opportunity to no, to yeah. go and work with, with a team that has so much success and um, such an amazing culture that you just want to be part of that. So and my role's really grown there from where I started, which was sort of doing just some individual stuff and seeing, you know, being at some trainings and seeing how the team worked. And then it was some, you know, some group presentations and a lot more one-on-one work. And so every year you kind of grow with, with what the team needs. Yep. Um, and then um, I w- I'd been at the Circus Institute for about 13 years and um, there was a new GM that was appointed at, at Collingwood um, when they set up their women's division. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's their netball program and their AFLW program. So a few years into that, they hired a GM who um, came in and said, why don't we have a sports psych in these programs? Um, and I had been working with quite a few of the netballers. So she contacted me and said, oh, um, you know, you work with a few of our netballers, wondering if we could just have a chat and catch up about those guys. Um, so I went and had coffee and that afternoon she kind of rang and said, actually, we'd really love you to come on board if you've got the capacity. So it was a really nice time for a change. I'd been with Circus for 13 years. I wanted to, then I was all of a sudden, I was all in Amy Park Precinct. I'd got all my, all my ducks in a row there. So 
yeah. go into the clinic, walk down the corridor, I'm at Melbourne Storm, walk across the Oval, I'm at Collingwood. And uh, having done three years with the girls' programs um, at the end of the uh, 2020 season, I got a phone call. Um, I've known Bucks for a long time, got a phone call from him and, and he was like, I'd really love you to come work with um, the men's program as, as well. So you're across the club. And so that's what I did. That was my first year this year, which was amazing. Um, the boys are fantastic to work with, really good people. So um, yeah, it's been, been a bit of a dream really. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Well done. Yeah. So it's um, taken, a, taken a long time, but it's, it's, I love a new challenge and I love learning a new group. Yeah, um, that's what I think for me keeps me so fresh and you know really passionate about what I do. Is everyone's got a story? It's a new group, new challenges, and and that's I love, I love that. Yeah, and and on that note, with with challenges, what what has been one of your biggest challenges in your career so far, and and um, what have you learned or how have you grown from it? Yeah, look, I think um, probably one of the the biggest challenges, which is always ongoing, is our role is sometimes very, very hard to measure. Um, so people see what you're doing and they think that it's just, you, oh, you're just having a conversation. Um, and there's so many people that come into our space. Oh, I'm a motivational this, I'm this and that. I'm like, well, that's not our role. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a really hard and, and ongoing thing to explain. And, and sometimes you feel like you're justifying, but um, it's about educating all the different things that, that we can do. Um, you know, like I did my fourth year in organizational psych, so I can do profiling. Um, that doesn't, that's not a role that some psychs play, but it's definitely a role others play. So that could Um, be like in recruiting and interviews and correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's in recruiting. Um, you know, for me, I did the profiling when we've just hired a a new coach at Collingwood. So I did all the profiles for the candidates. Um, so you're going through and you're looking at, you know, all of those sort of things. Um, and that's a big part of your role. It's, um, at Collingwood, we have another psych that is specifically in, in recruiting and, and does all of the draftees and everything else, but it's then getting that okay. handover and knowing what you've got coming in and how much their personality plays into, well, how are we going to coach this, this athlete? Um, and the coaches, you know, they know their craft and, and the techniques, but you can know that to the cows come home, but if you can't learn how to work with and talk to this particular person, you won't get the best out of them. So we can often be that real conduit in the middle to say, I wouldn't word it that way. I think what's mm. going to happen with this athlete, the way they learn, the way they understand things, I'd probably go about it this way and that's going to be better. Yep, that athlete, you can be as direct as you like and they'll take that feedback really well. This one needed a bit of a softer approach. So it's helping then to be able to um, make sure you manage your people within your club and your teams and your sports um, to bring out the best in them, but also to make them feel really valued and safe with you. Yeah. And on that topic, like, do you see the future? Um, you, you mentioned how you've got someone that's helping out with the recruiting and, and um, liaises with yourself. Could it be in 10 years, five, whatever it might be, how many years, but there's a psychologist that works only with the players and a psychologist that only works with the staff? Like, or is it, do you think that needs to be, you need to be a crossroad? <laughs> Um, look, that's definitely been trialled in, in some clubs and, and I think it depends on the setup of your club, the, um, the personalities of the individuals and, and the way a coach wants to do it. I think it, it's, um, you know, I'm very lucky in, in the coaches that I work with, they, they don't ask you, oh, what are you doing with this athlete? Um, yeah. Sometimes you definitely bring the coach in and say, I say to the athlete, I think it's really important that we bring the coach in for this so yeah. they can help you when you're on the field or on the court or whatever. Um, so I think some clubs have definitely trialled that. We trialled that at Storm and it probably wasn't the best system. And, and one of the reasons was because the setup, our coaches do so much of cutting their own video footage. Um, so they don't have the hours available. Yeah. Um, so that probably wasn't the best model. It, it had nothing to do with, you know, the sites that were being used. It's just the model that was, yeah. So mm-hmm. it's already happening. It, it'll keep happening. But I think you have to be able to adapt that and recognise it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Yeah, yeah. And we talked about challenges and, and your learnings from it. What about highlights? What are what is things you look back on fondly over your career? Oh, look, I think that one is people might feel like this is a bit boring, but your highlights are often um, literally just seeing someone who's worked super hard um, get selected. 
it yeah. might not be that it's you know and there's others that it's it's a grand final win um you know it's a world championship um so you know it's getting a contract somewhere i think it's all those for me it's the personal journeys because you go through so much you, you know so much you, you're basically part of this person's life um yeah so for me that's the really enjoyable part is um sitting back and and just taking some joy and seeing them happy um but you know storm i've been lucky to be part of a couple of grand finals with them you know when i first started at um, North Melbourne, I was still at uni and that was, you know, a lot of finals and, and grand finals um, with them. So, yeah, I've been lucky to be part of some, some pretty big Olympics and, you know, Commonwealth Games and World Championships. And I think probably for me one of the best things I ever did was um, the World Uni Games. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Um, we had an amazing medical team. Some of them I still work with in different spots, but... Um, you know, that's a village-type situation exactly like an Olympics. Yeah. Um, we, we were in South Korea at the time and it was just like getting around and going to all the different sports and um, just, you know, the um, Korean community just really loved having the games there and that and, you know, you'd go out for dumplings each night and be back at the village and so I really loved that experience as yeah. well. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Yeah, so you just it's it's a very privileged position, and I certainly don't take it for granted. But yeah, it's it's often the little things that others don't see, but you know the journey that person's been on. To me, that that's the real joy in the job. Yeah, and on the Olympic athletes, um, I've never worked with an Olympic athlete myself, but that four year campaign that you go through, like from a um, psychology point of view, how do you manage like if an athlete has an injury just before that event of that campaign and they've trained their whole life for it and talk us mm. through uh yeah some of those scenarios that you've been through yeah look that happens um which is you grieve with the athlete really um and that's a really important process to make sure you don't try and rush them through that i think too often probably people who don't quite know how to manage those situations it's you know don't worry i know it's disappointing I let the athlete grieve it. Like you have to, they're allowed to be frustrated and upset and angry. And if that takes them, you know, if, if you're still sitting there six months down the track, we've probably got a problem. Yeah. But I think a really important part of that is let them mourn their loss. Yeah. They know they're not dying. They know no one else is dying. It's not about that. But, for, you know, loss is, is very much how the individual determines that. So mourning that loss in a way that's appropriate my job is just to support them and let them know it's okay to be upset about that and grieve that. Mm. Um, and then when the, when the timing's right, you know, some athletes want to just get out there and, and support their teammates and that's really a, a vital part of, of their recovery. Um, and other athletes don't want to be anywhere near it. Um, and I understand that. And so you try and manage that with them and speak to the coaches and say, look, I actually think I understand that this is a rule you want to put in, but this is not going to work for this athlete and we're going to traumatise them a lot more. Yep. It does depend too on um, where the athlete is at in their career. So if this is an athlete that is 21 years old and making this Olympics probably was going to be a long shot, so this is their first trials, it's a loss but it's, it's not an end of opportunity. Yeah. If you've got an athlete who's 29 um, and this is their last opportunity to go to the Olympic Games or make another Olympic Games, and mm. this is potentially career-ending, that whole process changes um, mm. because you're then not dealing, just dealing with the athlete. You're dealing with the coach who's been through the whole journey. You're dealing with teammates, with family members. Um, so I think it's, it's about also understanding their support networks, and, and you do that. You learn people's families and know who they all are when you go through that journey pretty closely with them. Yeah. Yeah, it's such an impact that you have and, and such an um, important yeah. role in, in their life as well as their professional life. But we'll have a, a short drink break, guys. This is a, a little video about our academy and we've actually got one of our academy members, Lucas, who's a, who's a gun-ho footballer, very keen to get better. And he knew Jackie was coming on tonight and he asked me if he could come on and ask a couple of questions. So, uh, Lucas, you've got a couple of minutes, mate, and uh, we'll, we'll have you on after this quick little ad. Hi, I'm, I'm Jack McLean, an AFL football, football strength and conditioning coach, coach, and I, I want, want to introduce you to the Prepare Like a Pro Academy. Our academy is a subscription-based platform where you can sign up to be a part of our community. 
If you get to the end of each episode of the podcast and are hungry for more, this is for you. Designed for aspiring AFL athletes and staff, you'll receive heaps of bonus weekly content. Learn who the guests are in advance and submit questions. Access to our Facebook group with Jack and other Prepare Like A Pro coaches. You'll be able to receive merchandise, program discounts and freebies and get free access to our live events, exercise technique database and much more. This is a great way for you to support the podcast and it helps me with production and release of epic content for you guys each week. Your contribution goes a long way in making the Prepare Like A Pro community possible. For a small monthly fee, you'll have access to all of the special content released on our Academy forums. There's no lock-in and you can cancel absolutely any time. All right. Welcome back, guys, and welcome, Lucas. Thanks for jumping on, and uh, I'll leave it over to Nate for, for your questions. I'll jump, jump. Yes, wait. Hey, you might have um covered this one just at the end there, but um, if an athlete sort of like gets like a real long term injury and um like they don't have a lot of motivation to sort of get back, like if it's like ACL or something, how do you sort of keep them positive throughout that whole situation, whole rehab? Long rehab don't recognize um, that they should be seeing a site pretty much at the start of that. Um, yeah. So I would say when anyone gets an injury that's four to six weeks or longer, go see a site straight up. Um, and then the process we go through is we break it down and go, right, the physio gives that person little indicators. This is our first marker. This is our next step. And so we really set our goals based on that. Um, staying on top of their language the whole way through so I can hear that language if it's, you know, I'm getting frustrated or, um, no, it's been a really great couple of weeks. So um, we'll use potentially some video footage of them competing so that they mentally stay in touch with that identity. Um, We might use a lot of visualisation so that we've still got those same muscle twitches and that same connection to their sport. Um, So when you're doing all these other things, it's much easier to keep them motivated along the way yeah right. um if uh if they're sort of not just don't have a lot of confidence like they might be about out of form for a few mm-hmm. weeks how do you sort of uh like is there any tricks or tips that you got for people that are out of form yeah so um i always say to athletes go back to what what are your biggest strengths like so when you are in form what do you do really well um and then they might hopefully pick sort of four or five different things And so each week you might just say, okay, next performance, we're just going to measure these two. Um, We're not going to worry about everything else. Let's just measure these two. Um, Let's put some drills in. Let's work with the coaches to um, get those skills up. I think the big thing a lot of athletes do um, and individuals do is if they're out of form, they try and fix everything at once. That's a lot to be doing. Um, And if you try and change everything at once and then you play one good game, you don't really know what caused it. So if you pick one or two things, stick with those for a few weeks when you feel really good, not just get them for one performance, but when those things are better for three or four performances, then get your next couple of things um, and then just build on that. Yeah, nice. Uh, oh, one last one. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you sort of um, do this type of thing, but if the group isn't sort of gelling together emotionally, like there's a few cracks within the team, how do you sort of get them back playing as a team? Yeah, that's, again, a really great question. A huge area for us is, is looking at um, team connection and understanding your teammates. So one of the things a lot of clubs do is um, learning about who the person is next to you, not as an athlete but as an actual human being, um, finding a cup. So there's lots of different games and activities that you can do with that. Um, and then I think it's about making sure that, you know, when you're training a team, it's so easy for the athletes when you do partner work to go to the same person. So have a rule in your team. You're not allowed to partner work with the same person twice in a week. You've got to keep moving yourself around. If, if it's a footy team, you've got plenty of players. Um, you know, if you're sitting down to have a meal together, you're not allowed to sit next to the same person. Like, okay, this meal, um, you've got to come up with, sit with someone that's not in your area. So if you're a forward, you've got to go sit with a back or a midfielder. Um, and you've got to come away at the end of the, the lunch or the dinner or the breakfast, and we're going to ask everyone, tell us two, two things you've just learned about the person sitting next to you. 
Um, and then it might be things like every week you assign to someone in the team a, so you might, Lucas, you might be my partner this week. Um, and at the end of the week, I need to make sure that I've given you two pieces of um, good feedback about your training this week. And it can't be too yeah. generic. There've got to be things that are specific. So I'm actually starting to really look for and create the opportunities to praise you. So if everyone's doing that, and then next week you get a different partner. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks a lot for that. No problem. Awesome question. Well thought out, Lucas. Great questions. Yeah. Got the notepad out as well, mate. Sure do. Yeah, went start. across the individual and the team. Good job. Yeah, cheers. Very See you later. Awesome, Lucas. I'll speak to you soon, mate. There we go. Thanks for answering those, Jackie. It's uh, something no we've been doing recently with anyone on our program or, or academy um, have the opportunity to join a guest. And like I mentioned, as soon as I announced that you were coming on, uh, Lucas jumped at it. So, uh, yeah, yeah, he's very hun hungry for information, Lucas, and, and he's always got great questions, uh, far better than mine. So it's uh, increased the value <laughs> of, the, of the podcast, which is awesome. Um, we're at the personal side of the podcast now, so the professional questions are done. This is the lighter segment of the podcast a bit of a get to know jackie um which movie or tv series has impacted you the most and why uh probably tv series uh two so yeah. um i love the west wing um which west is a political yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's, it's right actually down. i think i think from like my dad loved it and always said you, you'd love this um yeah. so it's all about american american politics in the white house and I loved it. One amazing scripts, amazing actors. I loved the high power of it, the high performance um, aspect of it. Um, yeah. So that's what attracted me to that one. And um, the other one's probably a lot more of, of a classic right now, but Shit's Creek. Um, yep. And I just loved that for the character development, like from where they started and, and just really seeing those personal characters come through like I, I loved that whole series i thought it was so well done well there's a couple i haven't watched either of those so i've noted yeah. those down i'll have to check them out amazing yeah um favorite inspirational quote or life motto uh one's probably um a bit of a hard one hmm. um i think i think for me probably the thing that that i live live by is about um creating really great relationships and um for me the first one is try and find the similarities and the second one is then really respect the differences. Um, and because my whole job is built on, on relationship, that's probably what I do. And um, I think along with that is I think the best relationships are the ones that really begin unexpectedly um, yeah. and it just naturally unfolds. So it's just trusting that process as well. Yeah, that's great. I've heard that one before, but uh, it definitely resonates, um, particularly yeah, respecting the, the differences, which is so important in a team environment, like the question Lucas asked. Um, so, you know, everyone's different. Uh, yeah. And, and that makes almost the beauty of working in a team, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's one of the best things. You don't want everyone to be the same. Like the differences is what gives you so much fun, I think, in your environments. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and what about um, in your work life, what makes mm -hmm. you ang angry? What is your pet peeves? Uh, one of my pet peeves is probably people um, thinking they know how to do my job better than me and then have got no training. <laughs> up a few times, stay in your lane. Yeah, yep. yep. stay in your lane is one of my favourite statements. Um, yep. I hate being underestimated um, as well. Um, and I think the other one is, um, and, and probably this is because I'm, I'm in that side where there's so much media around, but I, I really hate it when... Um, athletes get judged, coaches or whoever get judged and these people don't even know them and the mm. comments become so personal and they, they're there to comment on performance. They're not there to comment on the person that they don't actually know. So, mm. you know, that, that the media will always keep me in a job because they're a bit reckless with their comments a lot of the time yep. um, and that really bugs me because, you know, these guys are out there, guys or girls are out there trying to do their best at the highest level with so much scrutiny. Like, you know, respect that and, and just, you know, give them credit for what they're doing. Yeah, it's such a good point. You talked about it earlier. It's like we, we don't get critiqued like that about our work and that's yeah. what they're doing is, is uh, doing their job. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, what about yeah. what's your favourite way to spend your day off? I know you're, you're working pretty hard at the moment and doing <laughs> things with, with the, the amount of um, 
important work that you've got on. But uh, yeah, when when a, a day off comes, what what do you like to do? Uh, I probably like to actually get up and be a little bit productive and and sort of get any housework or whatever done pretty early. And then for me, it's about, um, you know, I'll go for a really long walk anywhere from sort of 10 to to 20 Ks. I'll I'll go do a big long walk on on a weekend and then um, either going out for breakfast or having people over for dinner. I I love cooking and um, I think sharing a meal with people is, uh, is one of the nicest things you can do. So yeah, doing that with my family and my friends. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, I was listening to something the other day, and they were talking about now that restaurants are open, uh, that important of connection over uh, eating yeah. and is something that's been yeah. lost in Melbourne anyway. Um, yeah. So we'll be able to appreciate that and maybe be a bit more grateful for it now. Uh, but what about um, in a COVID-free world? Where would you like to go on a holiday, and and why is it your favourite destination? Oh, well, um, for people who probably know me pretty well um i love disney so um yeah. little trip to disney world's always a bit of fun yeah um <clears throat> otherwise um, and what do you love about just, disney uh, you like no, it's just it's fun i love the characters you know who doesn't like a disney movie great music great color the bad guy never wins the good guy wins like everyone's yeah. friends it's a good story yeah it's 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 feel good and it's amazingly creative and um yeah, so I love that, and um, otherwise I like to head down to. Um, got a place in Phillip Island, so I like to head down there and just. Be, I need to be near the water, pretty much. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be a, what Melbourne needs a, ho- a whole two weeks in Disney and then come back oh, and re- reset. We'll be so good. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be nice if I had a special power. I'd be teleporting. That that's always what I said I'd do. So Nick over there for a weekend would be amazing. Oh, thank you, thank you so much for jumping on, Jackie. And this is the this is the final question. Um, what what's on the horizon for you for the rest of two thousand twenty one? What what are you excited about at the moment? Um, we've got our AFLW season um, sort of kicking off. So yeah. um, you know we had a great season last season. We got to a prelim, so we want to go a little bit further this time. Um, and I think uh, Melbourne Storm being back in Melbourne is pretty exciting to have everyone under the one roof and and actually have a normal season where we're all together and, and we're able to play in front of home crowds and, and have that, I think, sport with crowds is is so exciting. Yeah. It's very bizarre playing in a stadium, like 100,000 capacity stadium in the MCG and there's no one there. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be hearing the seagulls in the middle of a match. So. You'd have to be careful about the advice you're giving your player because the other bench might be able to hear. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's just no atmosphere. Like the crowd makes it, and you know mm. the boys want want a crowd there, and um, it just makes it more exciting. And it really does change results sometimes. I think crowds do get you over the line, and that's what the athletes love playing for, and they appreciate that support. So, yeah, having crowds back and um, having sport back in Melbourne is huge. Yeah, and there's no none bigger than the uh, Collingwood uh, Collingwood membership base. So. Yeah, no yeah, doubt that MCG. Army. Yeah, the big Magpie Army will be roaring uh, next year, fingers crossed. But um, uh, we're getting confidence back now in Melbourne. So, um, <laughs> yeah. What about from a? Uh, I know you're working in the clinic with a lot of people, and, and uh, like you said, off air before, and it is a challenging time with with COVID, mm. and and everyone's got their own challenges they've gone through. And now we're coming out of lockdown. What what are some habit? Uh, what are some things that we should be focusing on or how can we transition um, maybe a bit more seamlessly out of lockdown coming back into a new routine now um, over the next few weeks? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think what I've been telling so many people is pace yourself. You know, your brain changes and and ours definitely have. We've been, you know, understimulated. We've had, you know, very little to look forward to. And so our brains have shut down and we're a bit more robotic. Um, we haven't had so much stimulus in our environment. So really slowly coming out, if you throw yourself into everything, you're going to end up with massive fatigue. Um, so just pacing yourself, do a few small things um, to start with. And I think also do what you're comfortable with just because you're allowed to go certain places if you're not comfortable doing it. I think that's where you've just got to respect everyone's way of coming out of this is going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, and trust trust that everybody's doing it the best way they can. And, and I think my other thing is our life was simplified for us. 
although we didn't like it, I think for everybody there's probably some really good things that came out of that that maybe we don't need to be as busy as what we are or we do need to keep making time for our closest people instead of just always running for the entertainment. Go see family and friends and remember what's important first. Yeah, it's such a good point. Like, oh, both both points in terms of going slow and and going at your own pace Uh, and everyone's going to be a little bit different whether they, yeah, just go straight into the deep end and and are super social or for others that are a bit more introverted will will, want to ease into it. But also, yeah, the things that we have learned, like I know having that extra time for family time, your own time, um, maybe a bit more exercise or or just getting a little bit more sleep, like Mm. you said, busy city life. So, um, yeah, now's a good opportunity, isn't it, to to basically set a, a good routine. Yep. Well, thank you so much. That's uh, um, there's so many gems and golden nuggets all the way through that uh, the last sort of one hour we're at. So I, I really appreciate your time and your energy, and then you can see you're so passionate about what you do, and, and you're a real expert and leader in the field. So very uh, thankful that you came on, and, and grateful for everything that you brought tonight. Thanks so much, Jackie. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been great. And for those that want to follow your work, are you, are you on social media and that sort of stuff? And, and how can you book in uh, to see you if, if that's something that Yeah, you can to come do. to Olympic Park at, at the Sports yeah. Medicine Centre. I'm not great on the socials. I definitely need to improve that. I've been told that a few times. But, um, yeah, I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you busy enough? As I, am I am on there. I am on there. Yeah. Well, I'll add uh, the Olympic Parks in it down in the show notes. And, um, awesome. Yeah, thank, yeah, thanks again, Jackie, and we'll, we'll speak soon. No worries. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian of Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is... Um, It'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was, uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering, what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah, certainly yeah has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just to, be, to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about 
you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, it might be whatever, as an S&C coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm-hmm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear, fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest, or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.